Slowly but surely, we are getting to the end of 1 Corinthians. So today we're actually finishing chapter 15. We're in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 58. And if you've been here the last few weeks, all of chapter 15 is about the resurrection. Now we've been going through it slowly but steadily. And the first part of 15 is about the historicity of the resurrection, that it was real, that it happened, that the good news is an event that Jesus really did die and raise again for our sins. And then last week, Pastor Jared talked about if that's true, if the resurrection happened, why is it important? Why is it necessary that without the resurrection, we are still in our sins? We are to be pitied most among all people. That it's a necessity. We need it to be saved. And today, it becomes a little bit more personal. If the resurrection is true, if we need it, if it happens, what does that mean for us? Sure, Jesus rose from the dead, but will we? What does it look like when we will raise like he did? And so that's really what we're talking about this morning. We're going to answer three questions from this text. Uh, first, how do our bodies change? Second, why do we need heavenly bodies? And lastly, why do our heavenly bodies matter now? So first, how do our heavenly, bo- how do our bodies change? What are they going to look like? How are they going to be different? And really, why does it matter? And then second, why do we need heavenly bodies? Okay, so they're going to change. We're, we're going to rise like Christ, but why is it a necessity? And then lastly, why do our heavenly bodies matter now? It's a future thing. It's going to happen in the future, but why does that matter for me today, for you today? And so we're going to start with the first question, how do our bodies change? And it comes from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 49. It's a longer passage here, so bear with me. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For all, not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly body is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, there is also, uh, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we've bore the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And as I read that, you're like, there's so much in there. Like, what what are we talking about here? And again, what Paul is doing, he's kind of building an argument, and he's so good at these hypothetical questions. And again, he said, uh, the resurrection three weeks ago is historical, that Jesus died, he lived a perfect life, he died, he rose again, appeared to 500 witnesses. It's an event. The gospel, the good news, is historical. 
Um, but it's also a necessity that if Christ didn't raise, we are still in our sins. And so he's gotten to this part in his argument, and he's saying, what will my audience question then be? And it starts in verse 35. Okay, if the resurrection happens, what's it going to be like? What's that going to look like for me? What will our resurrected bodies be like? And he's getting at some of what Jared, Pastor Jared said last week in wrestling with this worldview that the physical, their worldview was that the physical was sinful and the spiritual was good and holy. And so really the question they're asking is, will there be a physical resurrection? Will it be a bodily resurrection or will it just be a spiritual one? And so Paul begins to dive into this and he says in verse 36, you fools, you've missed it. And he gives three illustrations kind of to explain what our resurrected, our resurrection and our resurrected bodies will look like. So let's look at those now. The first is a seed. He uses this as an illustration. And he says a bare kernel or wheat, when it dies or is buried in the dirt, it rises again to new life. That it's, it becomes something new, but it's also the same, right? Wheat doesn't stop being wheat. It just goes from a seed to an actual plant, and so it's something new, it, it dies and goes to new life, but it's still physical and it's still wheat. And the same is true of us with our bodily resurrection. We will die physically, but we will also be risen to new life physically uh, the same. You will still be you, but you will be different. And then he goes on and explains that there's different kinds of flesh. He says there's uh, humans have flesh, animals have flesh, birds fish have flesh, but it's different. It's not all the same. And he says the same is true with our bodily resurrection. Your body looks a certain way now, but your flesh will be different in your heavenly bodies. In your resurrection, it will be different. It will still be physical, but it will be different. And then he goes on and he talks about planets, like Paul's all over the place, seeds, flesh, planets. And he says that planets have different glory or splendor. The sun, the moon, the stars, they're different. And he says in the same way, your earthly body and your heavenly body are different. They'll have different glory. That your earthly body has glory now because you're made in the image of God. You you have splendor. You reflect the image of God. But he says your heavenly body, your resurrected body will have more glory. It will be as it was created to be in the Garden of Eden. It will be perfect It'll be as it was meant to be. Different glory. And he goes on in verse 42 and he says, this is what it will be like in the resurrection of the dead. And he starts doing this comparison between the natural body and I'm going to say here heavenly body because he uses a couple different words. We can put this up. This is a comparison between the two. And he uses heavenly, he sometimes uses spiritual or glorified bodies, but it's all the same. It's what will our resurrected bodies be like. And he goes through this list, this comparison. And I need to say this, because this is important. Paul's purpose here isn't to get a, give us like a vast, all-encompassing list. That's not why this is writ- written. It's to tell us about the resurrection and what our hope is, but he's not giving us every detail. But he does give us some. And so he does a comparison here, and he says in verse 42, what is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. So your body now, again, he's thinking, sticking with this seed comparison. What is sowed now, what dies now is perishable. Your body, every single one of us will die. It's kind of this universal language. We will all, uh, we are all born, but we will all die. It comes for all of us. That our bodies now, our physical bodies will perish. 
They're touched by disease, death, decay. They're perishable. They will not last. And we feel the weight of that all of the time, that your your eyesight is not the same as it was. Your hearing is going. You stand up and your joints ache when you get out of bed. Or maybe it's something more extreme and you have your body is not working as it should. What Paul is saying is here, your body is perishable now, but it won't always be that way. It will be eternal. It will be imperishable. That you will no longer be conquered by death anymore. And then he goes on in verse 43 and he says, your, your, your natural body is raised or, or is sown in dishonor, but your, your heavenly body will be raised in glory. Dishonor here is talking about sin and shame. It's, it's tied together. Why does your body decay? Why do you get diseases? Why is cancer around? It's because the world is broken. It's messed up. Our bodies are riddled because of sin and the world being messed up. Your physical body, it, it, it is a part of that. But what God is saying here is that it won't always be that way. That again, your body will be glorified. That it will be as it was created to be. No longer touched by disease, decay, sin, and shame. But again, back to the Garden of Eden as it was supposed to be. And this is really important. This is really what this stems from. Part of what Jesus has done for you, when you put your faith in Him for His death and, in His death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins is this. He, he does something called justify. Uh, justification. He justifies us, and what that means is he declares you to be holy and righteous. Not based on anything you've done. Even if your actions are messed up and you're sinful, Jesus says you are still holy because of what Jesus has done. He views you like he views Jesus, perfect and holy. So if you're in Christ, he's justified you. God views you as holy and righteous. The other thing that uh, that God does through Jesus' resurrection is he promises to sanctify us. It's another big word, and what that means is even though he's declared you righteous, he still needs to make you righteous. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, as you pursue Jesus, he's growing you in obedience and holiness and making you more like him. That's sanctification. So he views you as holy, he's making you holy, and the last thing is glorification, what God promises at the end of of time. When Christ returns, he will glorify you. And what that means is he will actually make you perfect. He will complete your sanctification. You will be as God created you to be. Before the fall, before sin, before the aches and pains, you will be uh, untouched by sin, physically, spiritually. You'll be glorified. And that's what this is pointing to. Sown in dishonor and sin, risen in glory. And it builds off that. You're uh, sown in weakness, raised in power. In God's power. And then it goes on to natural compared to spiritual. Natural compared to spiritual. And this is important here. You could read this incorrectly and be like, oh, he's talking about a spiritual resurrection, but I don't think that's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying we've all been born naturally. Every single one of us. That we're we're born by our parents and we come to this world naturally. But when he's talking about being born spiritually, I want you to think of John 3. You must be born again. And what he's talking about is a spiritual being, a spiritual birth, being born in Jesus Christ, having new life through faith in Him. So it's not a spiritual resurrection, it's still a physical resurrection, but how we receive it is through being born spiritually. And part of how we know this is how Paul continues on through the rest through 49. He, he does this comparison between Adam 
and the last Adam, the first Adam and the second Adam. He says that every single one of us, we have been born into the first Adam. That we are united in him. He's our representative. And because of the first Adam, we have sin and death and shame. And so like he went to the dust and died, so we too will die. But he says there's a second Adam. And we know that's Jesus. And he did what Adam failed to do. And he lived a perfect life and defeated death on our behalf. And if you put your faith in him, if you put your trust in his death death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, you will be raised to new life. You will have a heavenly body. Sin and death will not destroy you. Will not have victory, but it will be defeated because of the second Adam, Jesus. And I don't want you to miss this. There's a lot in there. I know I've been talking and unpacking a lot, but, but don't miss this. Your bodies will change. They'll be physical, but it will still be you, but it will be untouched by sin, shame, disease, and decay. Don't miss how awesome that is. Don't miss that. Maybe, you know, as you age, you start to feel the weight of your your body decaying and not working as it once did. Maybe your allergies are awful and you're just like, I want to go a day without medicine and being able to breathe on my own. I want to go a day with my body working like it's supposed to. I know a lot of you feel that. Maybe you have constant pain and what God says is it's not forever. It's not forever. This uh, is close to home for me. My dad is about 25, had uh, a cancer. And part of the result of that in his surgery is that he's a partial quadriplegic. And so what, what that means is for almost 30 years now, he hasn't been able to jump and run. But the beauty of this passage is that won't always be the case. That at him as a believer, he will stand before Jesus and be able to jump and run again. That this is not all there is. And I had a, a friend come up to me after service, a, a new guy I just met, and um, I don't know what exactly happened to him, but he could no longer talk because of some accident. And he was signing me, uh, praise God for this truth, that our bodies will be changed, that this is not how God's leaving us, but we will be resurrected like he has been. So our bodies will be changed. And that brings us to our second question this morning. Why do we need heavenly bodies? I mean, we want them. That sounds awesome. But why do we need them? And, and Paul begins to make this argument of why they're necessary in verse 50. I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In that moment, And in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put on, must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the uh, perishable puts on the imperishable, when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death, uh, Sorry, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Or where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Just a beautiful picture here. A beautiful reminder. And what Paul is saying here 
is if we're in Jesus, we need to be resurrected. We need to be made imperishable. Our natural bodies, they are touched by sin, decay, shame. And what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like is it's going to be eternal. It's going to last forever. Our flesh and blood cannot be a part of that. And he goes on to explain, again, a mystery, something that he's not trying to be all-encompassing, giving us all the details about But he says. There will be a day. The last day when the Lord returns and a trumpet will sound and there'll be a believers alive at that time. He says they, they won't all be asleep. They won't all be dead. And in a twinkling of an eye, they'll be changed from a natural body to a heavenly body. And the dead, those who are dead in Christ, will be raised imperishable, made new. And there's this victory chant of believers that death is swallowed up, that it will be defeated, that it will be no more, no more power of us, no more sting because Christ has conquered, because we have resurrected like Jesus has. But we need it. We, it's like a uniform to a team. If you don't have it, you're not going to defeat death. You won't get into the kingdom of God, heaven. You need a heavenly body. And it made me think about one of my guilty pleasure movies. So turn your attention to your screen right now. I just wish we could all get along like we used to in middle school. I wish that I could bake a cake made out of rainbows and smiles and we'd all eat be happy. She doesn't even go here. Do you even go to this school? No. I just have a lot of feelings. Okay, go home. And I use that clip because it makes me laugh, but it's a reminder. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad some of you like Mean Girls too. It's okay. Um, but it's a reminder that our glorified bodies are, uh, bodies are a mark that we are in Christ, that we're His, that we do go here, that we will go to the kingdom of heaven, that death has been conquered. You can't defeat death. Sin can't lose its power of sting unless you will resurrect with Christ. So it doesn't matter about your feelings. It doesn't matter about, oh man, I I just have so many good feelings about Jesus or I've gone to church so much or I've done these things. Unless you know Jesus, unless you've surrendered to him, unless you've given your life to him, then you won't experience resurrection. You won't experience new life. And if you don't experience those things, uh, then you haven't and won't defeat death and sin. You won't get that glorified heavenly body. So it matters. It matters. Because we need that to experience the defeat of death and sin and new life in God's kingdom forever. Brings us to our last question this morning. And it comes from verses uh, 56 through 58. But our question here is, why do our heavenly bodies matter now? Okay, we're going to get them. They're going to be awesome. But it's some future thing. Why does it matter for me this afternoon or for tomorrow when I wake up? Why does it matter? 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And he starts by saying that the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. That through God's word, through the law in the Old Testament, it reveals to us our sin. That, that we've fallen short. That, that our best attempts to be good enough fail to meet God's standard of righteousness and holiness. And part of the consequence of that is death. 
That we will all die again. Like it said earlier, that we are born in Adam. That we will go to the dust like he has. That there's sting and death. But the goodness of the gospel, we've been talking about all of chapter 15, is that is not where God leaves us. That's not where it ends. That God saw us in our despair, our sin, our shame, and our bodies decay. And he said, that is not where I'm going to leave you. And he's made a way by sending his son Jesus for us. And Jesus lived a perfect life for us. He lived the life that we were supposed to live as the second Adam. And he died on the cross three days later, rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. That that really happened. That, that's the gospel that an event in, in a moment happened. That Jesus really did do that. That it's real. And that whoever believes in him, that puts their faith in his death and the resurrection, will be forgiven. That you can know God. That you will no longer be conquered by sin and death, but you too will be risen like Christ is risen. That you are His. That you will be given a heavenly body, and just as we believe Christ has risen physically from the dead, you too, when the Lord returns, will be risen as well. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's why we're here worshiping this morning. And it reminds me uh, of a great R.C. Sproul quote. I want to read it for us now. It says this, No person is more conscious, more aware, more alert than when he passes through the veil from this world to the next. Far from falling asleep, we are awakened to glory in all of its significance. For the believer, death does not have the last word. Death has surrendered to the conquering power of the one who is resurrected as the firstborn of many brethren. For the believer, if this is you, if you're in Christ, that is our hope. That That is the glory to come. That death really will be defeated. And as we look back on verses 45, uh, 55 and 54, there's a victory chant. There's a victory chant. Because death will no longer have victory. No longer has victory. And the beauty of this, in the gospel, and what Jesus has done, and our confidence in the resurrection is this. We can know for certain, as believers, some of what will happen. We can know for certain, certain things that are going to, what it's going to look like at the end of our lives, at the end of our time here on earth. And it got me to think, about a lot of really just our media and what we intake and so many of the plot lines of what we ingest in TV shows, books, movies, is going back in time. I'm sure if I even just saying time travel, you can think of five uh, titles off the top of your head that talk about it. And they, the, the premise is essentially, hey, we're in the future. We know what's gone wrong. Let's go back in time and live differently. Let's change something. Let's go back to 2016 before the Cavs won the championship and bet on it and become millionaires, right? Let me just go back. And we live that way. And so many of us, we just deal with regret and we're like, man, I wish I could go back and live differently. But what I want to encourage you is, is in this. As a follower of Jesus, you do know some of what's going to happen. That Christ will return. That the Lord will come back on the last day and you will rise like he did. If you're in Christ Jesus, you will rise. You will have a heavenly body glorified, untouched by sin, death, and decay. You will rise. And so my question for you 
is how does that impact how you live today? I mean, that's great hope for the future. We know that's going to happen, but shouldn't that impact how we live today? Because those things are true, because death will no longer conquer, that this is not it, how should we live differently? That's really what Paul's saying here at the end uh, of this passage in verse 58. Let me read it again for us. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Therefore, he's looking back not just on this passage, but this whole chapter. Therefore, because the resurrection happened, because it's historical, because it's essential for salvation, Because you will be resurrected, if you're a believer like Jesus has been, because you'll have this perfect glorified body, then live this way. Brothers and sisters in Christ, be immovable, steadfast, always abounding. That's some absolute language if you ever used any, right? Steadfast, immovable, always abounding. When life is hard, when it's easy, live for the Lord. When you get that cancer diagnosis, when the world is not going the way you want, you tried so hard to pursue this life that you want and it's fallen flat, don't give up, don't withdraw, don't turn back, but run to the Lord, pursue Him, rest in Him, be obedient to Him because this passage says that your labor is not in vain. It says it's hard. It's labor, it's work. Ask any woman that's given birth if labor is fun, right? It's work, but it's worth it. And so it won't be in vain. And the question is why? Why will it not be in vain? It's because you are eternal. You're eternal. You're, as a follower of Jesus, you will live for eternity. And and your life now is a blip. It's a blip. It's a blip that matters. God says, how you live now matters. I want you to live for me. Share the gospel. Grow in holiness. It matters. But compared to your existence, it is a blip. And what we do wrong sometimes as believers is we live for the blip instead of for eternity. And things just don't go our way and we get frustrated and we're like, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I want to live for my comfort. I want to live for right now. I want to live for what's easy. And God's word saying, don't do that. Live for what matters, what will last. It reminds me of marriage, right? When people get married, what we do is we say, oh, I'm going to put a hundred hours into this wedding day, like these 12 hours. I'm going to have the perfect cake. I'm going to have it specially designed. You're going to have this delicious food. And I'm going to have this choreographed dance. Uh, and we make it as cool as possible. And no matter what, sorry if you're still planning a wedding, it doesn't always go that way. right? We put all this time into it. But it's a blip. It's one day. It's 10 hours. But, but we don't focus on what's supposed to be the rest of our life, this marriage commitment together. We focus on one day compared to the rest of our lives. That's what we do as believers sometimes. I say, oh God, my body's failing me. This is hard, and it is. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not. But what God's saying is, yeah, it is, it's a, but it's a blip. And it's not going to be this way forever. That joint pain, that, that, the, the way your body's failing you, the way your life is difficult, it's real, and it's there, but it will not always be that way. It won't. So don't live for the blip. Don't live for one day, but live for eternity. And Christ promises it will not be in vain. 
That living for Christ will always be worth it. And so why our heavenly bodies matter now is because it's a motivation, it's an encouragement that this is not all there is. That when life's messed up, when it fails you, when your body does not keep up and breaks down, it's a reminder that this isn't it, there's hope for the future, I will rise like Christ did and I will be made new. There's a future promise, there's a hope that will come true in Christ. It's a reminder that this is not all there is. So let's live for more. Let's live for what's eternal. We've answered three questions this morning. How do our bodies change? Why do we need heavenly bodies? And why do our heavenly bodies matter now? How do our bodies change? You're going to be you. It's going to be a physical body, but it's going to be different. Untouched by sin, decay, disease, shame. And you will be glorified as you were created to be. Perfect in relationship with God. Holy. It's going to be awesome. Why do we need heavenly bodies? Because for death to be defeated, we need to be imperishable. We need to, to have our perishable, sin-ridden, decayed bodies renewed and make, made new like Jesus. That's, that's how we are a part of God's kingdom. That's how we enter the kingdom of heaven, that we are rem- uh, made new. Our bodies will be changed. And lastly, why do our heavenly bodies matter now? That's going to happen. It's set. God has promised us that. But it's hope, it's motivation, it's encouragement for now. This is not all there is. This is not all there will be. And when you get broken and beat up and your body fails, remember, this is not all there is. So let's live for more. Let's live for what's eternal. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. God, we pray that you would, through your spirit, speak to our hearts and minds. Every single one of us needs to hear some of that differently. And maybe we're wrestling with physical pain, our bodies giving out on us, knowing that it will never be the same. God, encourage us through your word that it won't be in you. God, when we're in despair, when life has failed us because of sin and brokenness, when we are betrayed, God, remember, help us remember that this is not all there is, that there is more, and there's one that has not failed us and who won't betray us, and that's you. And you, in your steadfastness, will rise us from the dead, and we can rest in you. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.